Well, good morning. I was just about to take a drink and the thing finished. How about that? Well, it's so good to see you. I'm with Pastor Kerry, and uh, I'm not a big fan of winter. It's really cold out there. Uh, we have summer in England, but it lasts about 20 minutes. But you know what? We live in, I think, one of the most beautiful places in the world. We live in Colorado, people. Blue skies, sunshine. That was a really half-hearted response. I'm going to try that again. Morning, everybody. I wanted to have a drink, but that's why And we live in Colorado. Thank you for that spontaneous response there. That's... Well, greetings to you if you're watching online. We, uh, we love that you're with us, sitting there in your uh, early wearing of those Christmas pajamas, sir. What were you thinking? Yeah. And uh, good to have you with us. We really can't see you, and great to have everybody here as well. We're in this series, and we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, but we're taking a break from that for a few weeks. We'll pick that up again in the new year. And right now, we're in this series, Promises Kept, where we're looking at the Christmas, the Nativity event, through the eyes of the Old Testament um, prophets. And uh, last weekend, how many were here last weekend? Raise your hand. Well done. That's good. How many are here this weekend? All right, stick around. And uh, last weekend, we were looking at the book of Numbers. 1,400 years before Jesus came, it was all promised in a, a prophecy back then. And uh, this weekend, we're thinking about the promised shepherd. And we're looking at two promises, two prophecies that were actually made 700 years before Jesus was born, uh, promises that were given through the Old Testament prophets Micah and Isaiah. I've just said it our way, Isaiah. And you say? Isaiah. Now look, just in case you meet the guy in heaven, you've got to say his name right, all right? So everybody say, Isaiah. Isaiah. <laughs> That's sounding wrong. Okay. Let's jump in. Micah chapter 5, and it says this. You, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And then verse 4. He, that is Jesus, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Over my life, I have learned that there are some career choices that would never really have worked for me. Uh, my first job uh, when I finished education, was in banking. I worked for Barclays Bank in, in London, in England, for a year. My worst subject at school was math, and so I decided to get into banking, <laughs> which makes a whole lot of sense. And I personally believe that Jesus called me into ministry out of banking to avoid a global financial crisis. <laughs> I would not have made a good banker. I would not have made a good hairdresser. And some of you already are looking at me, and you know why. Because they would come, people would come into Salon Lucas, 
and they would take one look at the shrinking peninsula that I am sporting, and they would run for their lives. I would never have any customers. I would not make a good hairdresser. This week, I discovered that I would make a terrible shepherd. Terrible. You see, the reason for that is sheep can be difficult. They can do ridiculous things. They're not that bright. When God was looking for a metaphor for the human race, one that he chose was sheep, or we like sheep have gone astray. Now, this is not God mocking or insulting us. In fact, the Bible is a, has got a mixture of incredible statements about humanity. We are made in the image of God, imago Dei, as the theologians describe it. The New Testament has majestic things to say about us as believers. We're part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. These are statements of incredible calling and dignity. You've got to balance that with statements about how we are without God. We're like sheep, and sheep are not that bright. Well, I was planning on having a live sheep up here on the platform um, with me. But earlier this week, we had a visit from Joshua the sheep because I wanted to shoot a video to send to our congregation in Windsor. Pastor Dari is preaching there on this subject this weekend. And uh, things went wrong. <laughs> I, I sense your surprise. Uh, and never mind about Joshua the sheep not being too bright. I, the temporary shepherd, didn't do too well either. Just take a look. <laughs> Hi, Pastor Darry and, and friends over in Windsor. I just want to introduce you to a brand new friend. We've got really close. Uh, really, really close. <laughs> Did you get that? <laughs> this, is, this is Joshua, the sheep. You probably noticed he's a sheep. So, uh, Joshua, could you uh, just tell everybody what your name is, please? Okay, let's try something else. Uh, Joshua, where were you born and raised? Um, how about what is the basis of Einstein's theory of relativity? All right, well, we seem to be drawing a blank. Have a great day. <laughs> Three times. And that last footage showed you exactly what Joshua thought about my shepherding skills. <laughs> well, sheep aren't bright. They need a shepherd. And in Micah's prophecy, God made a promise that a shepherd would come. So let's, let's dive in here, if you're following along in the, the bulletin, the outline. First of all, let's see that there's another promise kept. Last weekend, thinking about the promised star, another promise kept, and that's Micah's prediction. Bethlehem, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Matthew, when we turn to his gospel, he is writing for a Jewish audience. And it's particularly important to him 
that he lets everyone know God makes promises and God keeps those promises. And so we read in Matthew chapter 2, King Herod called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You see, here's what Matthew's doing. Matthew is saying, look, everybody. That promise was made 700 years ago, but it came true just as God said, just exactly as predicted. Now, now one question is, why Bethlehem? Is that just a, a, a random thing? Well, no, because prior to the birth of Jesus, Israel's greatest king had been King David, and he, remember, was a shepherd boy, and he came from Bethlehem. Now the great king is born there. And there's some other details as well I'd like us to notice. Luke chapter 2 says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. If you've been to Jerusalem, you'll know that Bethlehem really is like a suburb of Jerusalem. It's very, very close. And commentators, many of them believe that these shepherds, who, by the way, were not allowed into the walls of a city for reasons I'll just explain, these shepherds were there because they were taking care of sacrificial lambs for the temple. And so think about this. Now, those who care for sacrificial lambs attend the birth of the one who is described in the New Testament as the Lamb of God who gives his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And then shepherds gather for a shepherd born. And they're outsiders as well. That's really important that we see that. They weren't allowed in the city because people thought they were thieves. They tended to steal sheep, go on land that didn't belong to them. They weren't allowed to testify in a court of law. That's interesting that the witnesses to the angels couldn't talk about it in a law court, typical of God to bring the outsiders right in, right from the start. But what does all of this say to us? It says that God's promises can be trusted. And we need to stand clear and firm on them. Let me give you an example. God promises that when we mess up, as we do, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. The trouble is, I've met many Christians, and I've been one of them myself, where instead of standing secure on that promise, we live by our emotions. I've had people say to me, I don't feel forgiven. Well, tell me what feeling forgiven feels like. And we don't live by the promise, we live by the emotion. Some of us today, some watching online, we define ourselves by our worst moments. And we live shrouded by shame. Does anyone remember that uh, TV commercial years ago with the immortal line, I've fallen and 
we could do that with a bit more enthusiasm. I've fallen. Here's what sheep are really good at doing. They find a hollow in the ground and they go, ooh, looks warm, looks nice. And so they snuggle down into the ground and they think, this is kind of cool. I am in sheepish heaven. But then, because of the weight of the wool, or because they're old and infirm, they then roll over onto their backs. And once that happens, they are really helpless. <laughs> this is my sheep impersonation. I've been working on this all week. My wife is worried. And they go, oh, oh, oh. And here's the thing. If they stay there, gases will build up in the rumen, blood supply will stop to the legs, and if they lie there for more than two or three hours, they will die. So that's when the shepherd has to come along, and the shepherd has the word for what he's about to do. He nudges the sheep and rolls it over gently. It's called restoring the sheep. That's why King David in Psalm 23 said, he restores my soul. So here is the sheep, and, and the sheep is saying, join me please in this, I've fallen, but here's the thing. <laughs> Why did you just applaud? <laughs> I just... Although, I am noticing these days that when I get up, I groan for no reason that I know. <laughs> Some of us live our lives saying, I have fallen and I can't get up. And the promise of God of forgiveness and grace says you can. Because this Jesus that we serve, his promises are firm and secure. Our emotions are not. Our emotions are not the barometer of our spirituality or the arbiter of truth. But his firm word is. So if you're dragging your shame around, in the words of Frozen, <laughs> let it go, let it go. My new album, Songs the Lord Rejected. Get up. Get up. Let it go. Secondly, a vital question. What comes into our minds when we think about what God is like? When you think of God, what's your first impression? The first words in your mind. The great writer A.W. Tozer, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Who do you think Jesus really is? And I can hear some of you going, well, it's the Jesus of the Bible. That's who I believe in. Yeah, but you and I, every one of us, have got a messed up, incomplete vision of Jesus. It's a patchwork quilt of a thousand sermons and 10,000 worship songs and 30,000 conversations and parenting and experience of life so far. It's, a, it's an imperfect patchwork quilt of Jesus. 
We don't see him clearly yet. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. When Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In the meantime, we don't. And that can mean that we can have a fractured, dysfunctional view of Jesus, which actually can be harmful. When I was growing up in the East End of London, we had a problem on our back step in our backyard. Um, we had a problem with ants, ants, A-N-T-S, ants, not ants, ants. We had some issues with ants, but that's not important right now. I would sit on the back step with a hammer. Don't look at me like that. It was a phase. And the ant would appear and we'd have a little chat. Hello, antennae friend, would you like to go to heaven when you die? Not sure they do really, but there we go. And I would assume from the silence from the aforementioned insect that it did indeed want to go to an eternity. <laughs> now, you're looking at me like, you mean? No, I don't do that anymore. I use powder. But that was my impression of God. Just waiting to get you, just waiting to catch you out. As Nancy Myers, the Catholic writer, describes it, the God of the gotcha. <laughs> gotcha! Finger hovering over the smite button. This is serious. Dysfunctional pictures of Jesus have ruined the world. Nietzsche the philosopher, son of a Lutheran minister, much quoted by the Nazi regime, had a messed up view of Jesus. He said he saw, Jesus saw with eyes that saw everything, all my concealed disgrace and ugliness. He crawled into my dirtiest nooks. This most curious one had to die. And he raged not at the real Jesus, but at the Jesus that had formed in his thinking. It's been said, it's bad grammar, but good theology. If it doesn't look like Jesus, it ain't God. Because Jesus is the fullness of the revelation of God. And living in the era that we do, he's the ultimate picture of what God is like. What's, what's your view of Jesus? Could we ask the Holy Spirit to show us more of the real Jesus? Can we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us where we picked up masks that we have placed upon him that are not true. Because here's the truth, thirdly, Jesus is the good and beautiful shepherd. He's the good and beautiful shepherd. Here's what he says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, by the way, he did that first of all because shepherds were thought to be bad. So he said, he said, I'm good. That's why he talked about the good Samaritan because the Jews thought the Samaritans were bad. So it's a statement of qualification. But also, the word that Jesus used was not the common word that meant morally upright, full of integrity. The word that Jesus uses that's translated good could better be translated beautiful. Beautiful. In Mark chapter 13, we read these words, 
As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, what beautiful buildings these are. It's the same word that Jesus uses to describe himself. He's beautiful. I want to stand here today and do nothing really other than, in this moment, celebrate that Jesus is delightful. And he's amazing. And he's purposeful. And he's beautiful. Anyone agree with that? Is, is that your Jesus? I'll give you a couple of examples. Jesus is a party planner. Party. Not potty. Party planner. You say, where'd you get that in the Bible? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. The Old Testament, all these feasts and festivals and get together and celebrate God and celebrate each other and all these stories. You know, someone finds a... Someone finds a lost coin and they throw a party to celebrate. That's, that's crazy. You know, I find, I found five cents. Come on over. What is that about? But you see, that's, that's our God. He's the God of celebration. Did you know that God is a dancer? A dancer. You say, what? Well, Zephaniah, which most commentators believe he's the prophet obsessed with doom, but he says this. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. The word rejoice means to skip, to pirouette for joy, to leap. See, that's this God that we serve. He's not a cosmic misery. And I've met Christians, they're like, there's no joy about them. They've got this permanent, sour expression of deep piety and, frankly, mild constipation. <laughs> now, why is that? It's because, ultimately, we will become like what we think God is. So, if we think God is a misery and any kind of fun in church, it should be outlawed, it's disgusting, it's irreverent, we need to get over ourselves Realize, as John Ortberg says, God is the happiest being in the universe. And Jesus is beautiful. He's the chief shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. And of course, when I'm saying beautiful, I'm not talking about, you know, Tom Cruise, handsome, irritatingly so beautiful. Jesus' features were marred horribly by all that he went through. We don't know what he looked like. I'm talking about his character, his beautiful character. Here's a question. Have any of us rejected Jesus or ignored him? But the Jesus that we've rejected is not the real one. It's the one that we've formed in our thinking. And we need to discover who he really is in all of his beauty. Fourthly, we are under his loving authority. We're under his loving authority. Micah promises he will stand and shepherd his flock. Standing is a posture of authority and royalty. And then Isaiah clarifies it too. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. I, I just need to say this. Jesus does not come to us as our advisor. 
or as our consultant. Ooh, nice idea, Jesus. I'll give that one some thought. Ted Koppel, the veteran broadcaster, said that when Moses came down from the mountain, he did not bring with him the ten suggestions. I was on Facebook this week because just checking out what people were having for breakfast. <laughs> and, and a friend of mine was having a little rant on Facebook and he was saying how we've ignored a vital part of the Great Commission. And I think he's right. The Great Commission of Matthew 28. Look at this. Therefore, this is Jesus speaking, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And look, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Being a disciple of Jesus means obeying him. Where are we saying, I've got better ideas, Jesus? Are we following his directions? I am terrible at following and reading instructions. Anybody else like that? You, you open a packet or something. I, you know, the guy from Amazon shows up, and I got these new smart plugs this week. And it means that I can speak to this woman who's moved into our house. Her name is Alexa, and I can speak to her. And I, I have this great sense of power, and I say, Christmas tree, on! It's beautiful. I'm not scrambling behind the Christmas tree, plugging nine plugs in, getting impaled. And if just between me and you, sometimes when Kay's elsewhere in the house, I just kind of do it a few times. Christmas tree off. Christmas tree on. And I, I'm really embarrassed I didn't tell this to any of the other, any of the other services. When she doesn't immediately obey, Sometimes she doesn't. I get irritated. I go, Alexa! <laughs> Christmas tree! On! <laughs> but that was after about an hour of trying to get the things working. Why? Because I didn't read the instructions in broken English. Did I say that? <laughs> I've inherited that from my mother. She never read the directions, never once. It was great until they made washing powder, concentrated washing powder. She didn't read the directions. We are up to our armpits in suds. Jesus doesn't come to give us advice. We're under, called to be under his loving authority. Where do we need to get in line? Number five, we are called to daily intimacy. We're called to daily intimacy. He tends, Isaiah says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. This is beautiful, close to his heart. Has anybody else noticed that if God, if God does communicate with us, often he whispers? And I'm like, why'd you, why'd you whisper? Send me an email. <laughs> Dear Jesus, what should I do? Ding, you've got mail. <laughs> when we whisper, it's because we want the person to come close so they can hear. And 
that's what Jesus calls us to. And then beautifully, it talks about how he tends us and gathers us. I experienced that right here last weekend. Those of you that were here last weekend, I'm not going to go all through it again, but I shared that my Kay, my wife Kay, uh, she got a, a spider bite, turned infectious, but then got an antibiotic back in England. One in 20,000 people gets liver disease from that antibiotic. I mentioned last week, I've always known that Kay was one in 20,000. She lives with me, who shouts at the Christmas tree. But she got liver disease, and she's very slowly getting better. One of her enzymes is still 12 times what it needs to be. And I came into last weekend really anxious about, about that. And uh, I've been... I've been very anxious and concerned. And uh, our doctor advised us, don't advise me, don't be around crowds because you don't need to take your wife an infection at this time. And she got COVID as well. She's over that. Um, but for that reason, I wasn't going to be, I've not been at the welcome center. I've not been running around shaking hands. And I'm going to, I've just been going right from the platform up to my office. I'm going to do it again today. Don't take it personally. I like you. I just don't want your germs, all right? <laughs> so last weekend, I did that. Every service went, I left the platform before the service ended and went straight to my office. Well, last sun, Saturday night, Sunday morning, first service, I did that Sunday, second service. And it's around, I don't know, 11... 11.15, something like that, and I'm sitting in my office, and God had something planned, because he's tender. And I wish I could tell you that the angel Eric did appear to me and say unto me, Jeffrey, I have something for you. But I just thought I could do with a cup of coffee. So I'm going to just sneak down to the coffee shop. Came out of the doors over there, and there are two couples, I think, standing there. They weren't waiting. They were talking to each other. And one of a gentleman in that foursome, he turned to me, and this was the 10 o'clock, so, sir, ma'am, you may be here today. And he turned to me and he said, Pastor Jeff, can I have a word? And I said, sure. And he introduced himself, and he's a retired medical doctor and a liver specialist. 3,000 and something people came here last weekend, and the one man that I bump into is him. And he listened kindly and carefully as I shared what's going on and some of the numbers, and he reassured me. And for about 15 minutes and his wife joined us and she said this is a God moment and it was now if you want to believe that was just a coincidence you go ahead I don't have that much faith in coincidence God somehow choreographed me to bump into him I, I, before getting the cup of coffee I ran back to on the phone I called my wife and I said I'm just going to be alright See, Jesus is gentle and tender. And I know it doesn't always happen like that. And some of you are looking at me right now and you're going, why doesn't that stuff happen to me? I can see it in your eyes. And I understand what you're thinking. And this stuff does happen to me a lot. Here's my theory. I think that God says to the angels, Jeff, 
bless him. His entire ministry has been built on his massive gift of ineptitude. He stumbles from one embarrassing moment to another. He wrestles sheep. So let's help him out. Don't think that this is because I'm more spiritual or more blessed than you. I think it's because God probably knows I need him to... God probably says, oh, look at him. He becomes an atheist in traffic jams. <laughs> but I declare to you today, and sir, ma'am, if you're that couple and you're here today, that's a ridiculous statement, because if you're not here today, you can't hear what I'm saying, can you? <laughs> Thank you for being the angels last week. This Jesus is tender. May we notice. May we notice when he works in us. Number six, we experience his authentic empathy. And I've just looked at the clock and I'm over, the, I'm over time. <laughs> Let's vote. I'm over time. Let's vote. How many would say, stop right now? We've had enough. Just raise your <laughs> Security. <laughs> Quickly then, just for your sake, ma'am. Just kidding. <laughs> Number six. We, uh, we experience his authentic empathy empathy. There's something powerful in Micah's promise. He says, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, his God, or in the strength of the Lord, I should say. Let's talk about Jesus as a man. Jesus did not come as Superman. Sometimes I've heard preachers describe Jesus as God with skin on. Wrong that is a deficient Christology, a deficient doctrine of Christ. Jesus came as fully God, fully man, but he laid aside his majesty. He had to travel, walk to places. He was not omnipresent when he came. He came as a man, fully as a man. Now, I'm going to say something now that is probably going to offend some folks. So if you're one of those people who comes to church to get offended... I don't want you to miss this opportunity. <laughs> okay? So just get, get your pen out, all right? And, and just get ready. I got into trouble one time at a conference because I said that Jesus went to the bathroom. And some people made horsey noises. <laughs> Blasphemous. Irreverent. Of course, Jesus went to the bathroom. What do we think he did for 33 years? You say, why, why are you talking about that? It's, it's a heresy called docetism. It's the idea that Jesus wasn't really a man. He just looked like a man. It's, it's a heresy. The, church the early church debated on whether Jesus went to the bathroom for 200 years. 
And part of it was Greek influence, if you want to know, Greek influence into the church that suggested that the physical is evil and the spiritual is holy. That's why the church had a problem not just with appropriate marital sex, but with sex generally, because it's physical. It's, that kind of thinking is the result of a big, fat Greek hangover. Jesus was fully man, and he did what he did. He performed the miracles he did. He raised the dead as he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. What that means is he is able to be fully sympathetic to us in our humanity. The Bible says this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. But it also means that the very same power that Jesus operated in is available to us. So don't say, well, I'm only human. Because if you're a Jesus follower, the power of the Holy Spirit is available to you. His empathy, his empowering. Well, the last thing is this, and that is that we are part of his flock eternally eternally. You, Bethlehem, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, and look at this, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. See, Jesus didn't begin to exist when he was conceived and was then born. In a way that blows a fuse in my mind, Jesus has always existed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God, 1 John 1, 1. Our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, ratified an eternal covenant, an eternal covenant with his blood. Hebrews 13 and verse 20. You see, what we're talking about together, ladies and gentlemen, is eternal. And as I wrap this message up, there's two things I want to say about that. I want it to be a comfort to some of us who need comforting because some of us are walking towards Christmas and some folks are hoping for a white Christmas, and some are, some are hoping to avoid a gray Christmas. Because this last year, you've, loved, you've lost a, a dear loved one, or maybe further back than that, and your heart is especially vulnerable at Christmas. Because you remember, you remember being around the table. You remember that smile. And I want to remind us that in Christ, there will be a reunion to come. What a great and beautiful day that will be. And I pray, I'm looking around at some of you, some friends here, and I know your stories. And I know, actually, as I look at you, I know who you're thinking about. And there are many others I don't know. But may you be comforted, not with a slogan or a cliche, but a secure promise. One you can trust. And thank you for being faithful in the waiting. 
But also, if this is eternal, then I think this news is worth sharing, don't you? And that's one of the reasons why in this Advent season, we're saying, hey, invite people to come to our Christmas Eve service. Not just so we can have loads of people holding candles up in the air, which is always a beautiful tradition. It's not just to fill the building. It's because this is about eternity. And we've had, I mentioned last week, we've had these invitations printed, little invitations. We have thousands of them. The ushers are waiting to give you these as you leave. Take a handful, pop some in a Christmas card, stop by our neighbors, invite them to come. You say, what if we run out? We will print more. We want to invite you to come and pray at Christmas Eve. Maybe come to a service, pray for a service. We've got an event. Mark your calendar. Wednesday the 13th of December, we're going to gather in the South Auditorium and we're going to pray for loved ones who might be coming to us at Christmas and we're, our hearts are aching for them. Maybe they're prodigals. They've walked away from God. And we're going to have a time of prayer. And we're going to put their first names on a cross. And we're praying. Because this is the eternity. The eternity issue. Last thing before we pray is this. Last weekend, we were privileged to see between 30 to 40 people make first-time commitments to Jesus. Many of them took resources and materials home with them to help them. And it's happening again this weekend, last night, again in the first service this morning. It's going to happen again now. I declare it. It's going to happen again. In the next few seconds, people are going to respond to the invitation to become followers of Jesus. Not the Jesus they pushed away, the Jesus of their thinking, but the real Jesus who's good and beautiful. It's going to happen. So we're going to pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are so truly awesome and wonderful. You are good and beautiful. Thank you for your tenderness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Show us who you really are. Break down images in our minds of you that are wrong. Show us, Lord. Those of us especially who carry our shame around, we've fallen and we can't get up. Help us to let it go with you now. I'm going to pause in my praying. I'm going to do this again later. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. If you're a Christian, but you find it difficult to let go of that shame, I don't feel forgiven, you say. It's time to let it go and stand on his promise of forgiveness. I want you to do something to demonstrate that you want to do that. You're for real. As our heads are bowed, if that's where you are, you're going to let go of that part of your history, that shame. I'm going to ask you to step up your hand and hold it there for a moment. Do it right away. Right away. As you see all these open hands, Lord, 
their fingers not clench again over that shame. Help them to stand on your promises. You can lower your hands, folks. Thank you. Finally, before we conclude this time with a song of worship, there are people here right now who want to become followers of the real Jesus. You know that that's where you stand and you're ready to tentatively take that step. I'm going to pray a prayer, which is that first step. You're saying, I want to follow Christ. I want to become a Christian. So if you're ready, here's a prayer that you can whisper to him. Jesus, I'm hearing that you're good and beautiful. I invite you now to become my Lord and Savior. Save me, rescue me, forgive me. Show me what it means to be your apprentice. Thank you for all that you did on the cross to save me. I choose now to respond to the invitation to follow you and make this prayer in faith. As our heads are still bowed, if you've just prayed that prayer, again, I want you to do something. And again, it's very simple and it's all I'm asking. If you've just prayed that prayer, would you just hold up your hand so I can see it, please? And then put it down again. Would you hold it up high? Because there are a lot of people doing just that. right? And, and just wave at me if that's, if that's where you're at. And I can see you over there on the left and at the front and at the back and over there on my right and at the back and over here at the front. So reveal yourself to each one we pray. We agree together in Jesus' name. Everyone said, before we do anything else, and we're over time, the next step for those of you that have just given your lives to Christ is baptism. And we'd love to help you with that. I don't know, I think I've just seen about 20 people in this service respond. And we celebrate with you. We celebrate with you. Stand if you're able. Let's worship.
our time together. That was beautiful. You know, when Pastor Jeff said that there were about 20 of you that gave your life to the Lord, that you chose Jesus, my heart just welled up because I want you to know you have been prayed for. You are an answer to prayer. We have a packet we would like to make sure you take home with you. They are on the stage on the left and the right. We have a prayer team that I'm going to invite to come up. And if something, I love something Pastor Jeff said about God turns up the volume sometimes in our life when we need to hear and receive something. If God turned the volume up for you today, do not miss a chance to have someone pray with you. It really is an honor. And as we go out, you know, our theme, let love live. I want to encourage you, let love live in your conversations. Let love live this week in your decisions. But let's say it together as we go. Let love live. God bless you. Have a great week.